Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy, as always, to be with you again this week to discuss a topic of interest in the multifamily space. And we're going to do something that uh, I think is real timely, given the fact that we've all got a little bit of extra time on our hands probably right now, and uh, a chance to kind of sit and ponder so today we're going to go back to basics and discuss five fundamental operational things to do that we believe will improve the success of your particular multifamily investment. These are items that we do on a regular basis. They are all a top priority. And you might be asking yourself, how can five things be a priority? Well, because we divide and conquer. We have individuals and teams that are responsible for each of these items, and these are the items that are at the top of their list. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list. There are absolutely other things that are very critical to being successful, but I only have 25 minutes or so every week to chat with you, and I wanted to put a list together that I thought I could get through in that time frame. Before I dive in, as always, if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Please swing by marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Click on the Learning Center, and you'll find links to future webinars that you can register for. You'll find recordings of past webinars that uh, will be hopefully of value to yourself. And, um, and soon we'll be launching some additional educational content. Uh, we've been slowed a little bit because of everything else that's going on. Uh, but we've got some new content we'll be launching soon. And uh, there'll be more about that in the coming weeks, I hope. Uh, so with that, let's, uh, let's go. Oh, one last item. And that is, uh, I hope you're all well. Uh, we're doing fine here. Everybody's healthy. Uh, our team, our frontline folks... Uh, our tenants are healthy. We've got a lot of wonderful folks that honor us by uh, being part of our family and living at our properties, and we're very uh, grateful for that, and we're doing all we can to support them during this time, and uh, they're doing well. So we hope you are doing well uh, as well, and a big thank you as always, and uh, thoughts and prayers for our wonderful first responders, the uh, medical community that's doing such a, an amazing job uh, dealing with uh, this pandemic, uh, and for all the folks that work in uh, the day-to-day -day jobs that really are the backbone of how we're surviving right now, and that's the farmers and the truckers and the grocery store clerks, clerks and the stock handlers and uh, the folks at the drive-through and all the other people that are out there that are taking care of us right now. So a big thank you to all of them. And with that, I'll go ahead and we'll get started. So these are five fundamental items around operations. There are fundamental items dealing with acquisition that are really important. So things like the market that we go in, the level of diversification of employment that we can draw from for our tenant base, uh, the age and, and uh, infrastructure that's involved in the property, all sorts of things. But you can't change most of that after you buy it, right? We can't pick it up and move it to a new town. Uh, we can't uh, change the school district that we're in. Uh, maybe we can tweak a few things here and there. You know, we can change out chillers to HVAC units and so on. 
but we're not really going to make any wholesale changes to those acquisition items. That's why that's so critical to address an acquisition. But once somebody hands us the keys and we own the property, well, then what do we do, All right? So I put a list together of five items that are clear priorities for us. We think these are foundational items that are fundamental to having a healthy, vibrant property. And keep in mind, while we buy real estate, right, we go buy an apartment building, what we're buying really is a business, right? We're buying a business that we're paying 10, 15, 20 million dollars for. It generates, you know, a million, a million and a half, two million dollars a year in revenue. We spend a certain amount of that on operating expenses. Uh, we've got some debt that we pay for, and when we're done, uh, we've got some, some profits before we get to uh, depreciation and, um, uh, and taxes, right, our EBITDA number. Uh, so it looks like any other business that's out there. And these are the items that we focus on to make sure that that business is healthy. If you are looking to invest with us, then I'd be happy to talk to you about these things in more detail in terms of how we do all this at our assets. If you're looking to invest with another sponsor and we're part of your educational process, which we're very supportive of, uh, then great. Then this might be something you'd look for in their materials or you might ask them about how do you do these kinds of things. And if you're building your own portfolio or any combination of all three of these things, uh, then you might find some value in these as well when you're thinking about how to manage your, your new fourplex that you just purchased. So with that, we're going to get started. This is not in any sequence. This is just a list I put together, uh, and the first one I wrote down just happened to be the first one I wrote down, but it's as equally important as what number five will be. So the first one on my list is work orders, short-term maintenance items, right? So a tenant has an issue in the property, uh, they've got a leaky faucet, they've got a toilet that's running, uh, uh, one of the kids threw open a closet door and the doorknob put a hole in the sheetrock or whatever it is that might have happened, uh, something needs to get fixed. Those are items that are really important to take care of for a variety of reasons, three reasons why it's really important that I can think of just sitting here off the top of my head. Number one is we want to keep that tenant happy, right? We want them down the road to be a, a good candidate for renewal. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So we want to make sure that they're happy. We want to be responsive when they submit that work order. We want to be able to either solve the problem within a very short period of time or at least respond promptly and determine what is going on and then if we need to order a part or something else, do that so we can get it fixed as quickly as we can. But we don't want to let tenants submit work orders and say, and it's been a week, a month, and they still haven't heard anything. And it's amazing how common that is. So the threshold, the bar of being a client, customer-focused organization is actually pretty low when it comes to work orders. And by doing a good job on work orders, we have happy tenants. Happy tenants do two things. They're going to renew, more likely. And number two, they're going to put the good word out on the street. Maybe that's a testimonial with us that we can put on the web page or something, and that's very happy, uh, very beneficial to us, and we're very happy to have them do that. But what's more important is, you know, it's what they tell their coworkers and their friends, you know, and when people come over, they go, hey, so what's it like living here? 
people ask that question, right? You know, it's really good. I'm, I'm really happy. I had this issue the other day, and I did this. And they'll tell other tenants. So even tenants that haven't had issues and haven't needed to submit a work order, if they hear that we're responsive on work orders, that's a real positive from that particular standpoint. The third benefit to being focused on that part of the maintenance uh, channel is if you don't address those items promptly, they aren't going to get better. They, they only get worse and more expensive and eventually become a big maintenance item. So you want to be really responsive. If you don't deal with that toilet today, you may be dealing with floor damage in the future or ceiling damage for the unit below it and on and on and on. So you're going to fix it anyway, right? I mean, it eventually has to get fixed. I guess you could just ignore it forever, although that's you know, probably a pretty good way to put yourself out of business. So if you're going to fix it anyway, why not fix it promptly, right? So uh, work orders, short-term maintenance, um, those are things to focus on. Now, I learned an adage a long time ago that has served me well over uh, my decades in the real estate space, and that is what gets measured is what gets done. And so we have a really good work order system where we can see what's going on with our work orders, how many we have, how many are open, what kinds of work orders they are, how long uh, they've been open, how responsive we've been, so that we can actually see what's going on. And then we can determine, do we have enough staff? Do we have the right kind of staff in place to deal with these things? And are we seeing a pattern? Uh, are we seeing a bunch of plumbing issues where it might make sense to put a project together, a capital project, where we'd make a $20,000 investment in the property and we'd eliminate a bunch of those issues, which would not only improve our tenant satisfaction, but it would save us money on work orders, right? And work orders are expense items. That's OPEX. A capital investment, well, that's CapEx, right? Two different kinds of dollars. They're both dollars, but uh, I'm much more comfortable making CapEx investments because I get a different kind of treatment on those than I am with OPEX. Really would like to have low OPEX. Okay. Number two, long-term maintenance. So this is things like roofs and parking lots and... Uh, common areas, so pools uh, and the grounds and those sorts of things that need to be maintained. They're not necessarily part of the tenant experience, like an interior, right, like a, a leaky kitchen faucet or a toilet or something like that that we just uh, mentioned. Um, but they're the kinds of things that absolutely have to be maintained or else they will cause negative tenant experiences, right? get a bunch of potholes in the parking lot, and, and uh, not only are you going to have some unhappy tenants, you're going to have a challenge maintaining occupancy. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and at the same time, uh, you're going to have more damage, right? So if you don't maintain the parking lot and you start to get some cracks and some potholes, now you could end up in a situation where you've got to replace your parking, uh, and that gets really expensive. Um, my age will show here. Some of you may remember an old commercial, uh, Fram oil filter. I don't even know if Fram is still a company or not. Uh, the Fram oil filter commercial had a guy on it who said, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. 
The idea was, hey, you can pay me to do an oil change for you today, or you can pay me to rebuild your engine down the road. It's cheaper to have me do the oil change. Let's do that, right? And put a nice Fram oil filter in there. Well, this kind of maintenance is the same, right? So if we're doing our maintenance, so it could be things like maintaining the grounds, maintaining our trees and our gutters and so on, so we don't have damage to the roofs that occur uh, from storms and water uh, and leaks and other sorts of things that can arise. And if we do that sort of uh, maintenance, then our roof's going to last longer. And that's going to put us in a position where uh, not only have we saved those dollars, but we now don't have that uh, negative experience for tenants. So uh, near-term work orders and longer-term preventative maintenance, both critical items. That's one and two on my list. Number three is renewals. As I said, this is a business. That's what we bought. We bought a business, and I don't know of a business out there that thinks it's easier to attract new customers than it is to retain the customers they already have. It simply costs less to keep the people that are already buying your goods and service uh, than it is to go get a new person. So we'd, we'd like to do renewals. Uh, renewals are good. Uh, those tenants don't cost as much for us to go uh, get them to renew. We already have a relationship with them. If we've been doing things like being responsive on work orders, then that tenant's either had a good experience with us or they've heard of a good experience. If we're doing long-term maintenance, they've actually seen us putting money into the property. That's another thing tenants really like, and that helps tenants feel comfortable uh, renewing in the, uh, in the property. Uh, and that's a positive for us. Now, Part of that renewal is going to be a new lease with a new rent. If they're at a reasonable rent today, they're going to see a modest rent increase. Probably not a big issue. If they're significantly below market, there could actually be a really big delta there that needs to get made up. Well, that's something you need to be talking to tenants about earlier. That's part of how you manage renewals is helping tenants understand this is where your unit is today. This is what it should be renting for Let's talk about how we could help you get there over time. And some of those tenants will be able to do that, and we'll make that work. And some will say, you know what, this probably isn't going to work for me. I really need to be at this price point. You don't have that price point available anymore, so I'm going to need to move somewhere. Or they're going to announce that, you know what, I got a job in another city. I'm moving an hour away. I c I'm not going to live here anymore. So there'll be some that won't renew, but we'd like to have a meaningful amount renew that's very helpful in terms of maintaining occupancy. But they're not all going to renew, which means we're going to need to go and add new tenants. We're, we're going to need to lease up. Now, you've heard me say this a couple of times. Uh, I'm an accountant. Uh, Lauren Torres, who runs our finance and operations group, is an accountant. Uh, you know, Ray and uh, Carl, all, we got a whole bunch of accountants uh, sitting around here, right? So we're numbers folks. We're not salespeople. We don't have any salespeople on staff. But we have salespeople out in the field because when you walk into a property, the person you meet that the industry calls a property manager is really a sales manager. That's, that's the, big, the top of our sales uh, organization right there. And if we have leasing agents in that office, they're salespeople. They're frontline salespeople. That's their job is to sell the property. And not to do it transactionally, right? I, I, you've probably experienced or seen and hopefully aren't involved with any like this, but you may be, 
where you walk in, a prospective tenant walks in, and it's transactional. Oh, you're interested? Well, here's the flyer that shows you how, how many kinds of units we've got. This is what's available. Here's the application you can fill out. Do you have any questions? All right, well, that's about as transactional as you can get. That's a very different experience than, great, hi, how you doing? I'm Pat. Um, so what is it you're looking for? Tell me a little bit about what you, uh, what's important to you in uh, the home that you're looking for, because it's a home that they're looking for, not just a place to sleep. And then you're going to sell benefits, right? And you're going to go through that whole process. So training and staffing for a sales organization is really important. And then, as I said, what gets measured is what gets done being able to track that sales funnel. So from the very first time that we see a prospective tenant, maybe it's a phone call or a web visit or something else that happens way out here, all the way through the steps in the process that get all the way down to signing a lease, picking up keys and moving in, what's that sales funnel look like? How much activity is there at each and every step? What's our conversion rate from one step to the other? How steep that funnel is? And that data allows us to then make decisions about what we should be doing in terms of rents and concessions and uh, the mix of classic to improved uh, units, how aggressive we should be on renewal rents, right? If we're getting really strong rents on new lease up and we're getting a lot of traffic there, then we're likely to be a little more aggressive on renewal rents. If not so much, then probably back off on renewal rents. There's a little throttling that goes on there back and forth. So investing in uh, long-term maintenance and working on work orders very promptly, keep the tenants happy, keep the property in good shape, a focus on renewals so that the tenants that are satisfied stay with us, and that's the core of our asset that we build upon, and then a strong sales organization that helps us lease the property up with good tenants that are a good fit and that are going to enjoy making their home in our property and that can do so financially in such a way that it meets our business needs. So those are four. I said there'd be five. So the last one that we're going to talk about is competitive supportive value ad work. Now, I've talked about value add quite a bit in the past, and this isn't any different. I just want to emphasize the competitive support component. Right now, in particular, is a really good time to give some thought to this. There's a lot of different things going on in the marketplace right now in terms of what uh, the competition is doing. And uh, blindly following the competition because we see somebody did this, whether it's somebody's doing this kind of upgrade or somebody's offering this kind of concession or whatever it is, that can get you in trouble. In particular on value adds, right? If, if we purchase an asset and we see two or three properties in the market that have done what we would describe as a pretty high-end upgrade, they've gone to uh, maybe a stone countertop, uh, brand-new cabinetry, not uh, painted or refinished or whatever, but brand-new uh, cabinetry, uh, high-end flooring, not just uh, the vinyl plank or, uh, or something similar, um, uh, you know, high-end fixtures, uh, you know, more elegant baths, <coughs> pardon me, something that's, you know, bordering on a Class A almost kind of experience, um, 
and we look at it and say, wow, well, and look, they're getting pretty good rents. Well, that's great, but we need to look at the whole of the market because tenants speak with their wallets, right? And so while one or two properties may have some, some decent numbers, we want to look at what the whole of the market's doing. And if 90% of the market is very focused on value-oriented classic-style units, meaning not improved units, then that may lead us to say, we want to do some upgrades, but we're going to do them at a modest pace and in a modest volume because we think we're going to need to have a mix. If, on the other hand, what we see is a significant demand for those improved units, which would be represented in a pretty big delta on the, on the rent side, then we can interpret that as something where you might be able to be a little more aggressive on the value-add component. But it's always got to be driven not just by the comps, but by the data that supports the comps, uh, reading what the tenants are telling us. Again, we bought a business. We're, we're running it like a business. We need to keep our eye on what the market, what the customer is interested in, what's the value proposition that works best for them, not what we think is a really neat idea. Because we could find ourselves with a really beautiful apartment building that has uh, just wonderful units that people would come to and go, gosh, this is gorgeous. I would love to live here. I'm looking for not $1,000 a month. I'm looking for an $800 a month unit that's roughly this same size. Well, if you've got classic units, then you've got one of those uh, that can do that for that person instead of the $1,000 for this higher-end unit. And that mix is part of what comes from understanding that data. So the five things that our operational teams focus on on a daily basis to make sure that we're uh, creating a successful environment for our property to perform are understanding the market and what tenants are telling us by virtue of the competitive environment and uh, what value adds are really doing in the marketplace. Our focus on renewals and securing the ability to keep as many of our tenants as we can and then dealing with those that don't leave by virtue of having a lease-up program that's very appropriately oriented towards a positive sales experience, a benefit versus need match. And then investing in long-term maintenance so that we can minimize the amount of work order activity we have and being very prompt about work orders. I, I hope this has made sense uh, to you all. If you have questions, or like I said, if you'd like to learn more about how we actually do these things, uh, let me know. We could set up a web session, and I'm happy to go through and show you one of the properties, and we can talk about how we do some of these things. Um, if, uh, if you would like to learn more about how to work with us, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Uh, please make sure you subscribe to the session, uh, to the podcast here, so you don't miss any future sessions. And join us again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. <music>